Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I'll be reading Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead in Christ will shine on you. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word and instruction to the bride of Jesus Christ. Father, help me therefore be faithful to the text to teach and that we we learn, we are convicted, we are pricked, we are changed, we are filled with joy, awe, and wonder at what it is to be saved, to be no longer darkness, but to be light shining in a dark world for the salvation of many and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's the overriding question this morning. What does it mean to be in the world, but to not be of the world? What, what does it mean to be a light shining in a dark world? You could be in the hallway at your local high school or in the workplace, in the office or in a marine barracks and talk, sexual talk starts to just fill the air and someone pulls out a nudie girly magazine. Or a few co-workers tell some dirty jokes. Should you laugh? Should you just go along to get along? Should you say nothing and just walk away? These are the kinds of situations that the Apostle Paul has in mind in our text. He lays out some principles. He doesn't lay out specific directions and exactly what to do or what to say. He lays out some guiding principles that will inform us as believers on how to act and how to respond in various and all kinds of circumstances and cultures throughout the centuries. He says it this way in our text. 
Let there be no filthy, dirty, sexual talk, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking about such things. Do not become partakers with them, because at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What does it mean to live in the world? But to not be of the world. This gets really tricky. Because we can fall off the beam on one side trying to balance that. Or we can fall off the beam on the other side. How do we balance the Apostle Paul telling us, here's how I live And he wants other believers to live. I've become all things to all people in different cultures so that I can win them. What are they like? I want to relate to them in the world to reach them for Christ. But at the same time, you balance that with, Paul says, when it comes to the way they live, you expose their darkness. It's a little problematic, it feels like, right? And history has shown that on, on one side, many people, by just putting such an over-concentration on, let's be like the world to reach the world in order that they would see Christ. With many people, what happens is they've become so much like the world in the way they talk in the way they live, the things they pursue, their attitudes and their desires, that it is almost indiscernible that they're different in any way from their unbelieving neighbors. Now, in general, I think it's really good to minimize cultural differences if they're not Sin embedded in culture. For instance, we have a culture now that just praises homosexual activity. Christians cannot become like the world in their praise of such things. Okay. So, but and there are many things. I don't think we should put on dumb little Christian hats so that we just walk around and people say, "Oh, that's that's a Christian." No, we we might like the opera. I hate the opera or ballet, but others might. It's a cultural thing. We might like football or hate football. Okay. We should minimize things that are merely cultural, not stick out like some strange, weird person. But where the error comes in is when we as Christians play down biblical truth to our unbelieving neighbors, family members. Friends, colleagues. We play down what is sin, clearly from Scripture, or not. We play down that there is a judgment that's coming. We play down sexual morality versus sexual immorality or talk about such things. And that's when we have fallen off the beam, according to Paul. 
on the other side. The danger of, of, of that emphasis is the danger of compromising the gospel, not just with our word, but with our living. I mean, for instance, since at least the way I can see it, from the 1990s on, there has been within the American church this, you know what, we're going to rebel, and this was a good rebellion at a level, against so much of our fundamentalism embedded in a lot of evangelicalism concerning if you ever let alcohol touch your lips. A beer touched your lips? Wine went there? Sin! It was a good rebellion because that is not biblical. But with some, it seems to have gone over. Therefore, we're free. So let's just be partiers to drunkenness because we're free. On the other end, people fall off the beam because they feel this desperate need to be so distinct, so different from the world. And it will major on non-sinful issues, minors, things. For, some of you know the, the story when I first arrived in Dallas at Christ for Nations Institute. It's New Year's morning. I wake up and there's hardly anyone there and I'm looking for a place to go watch the bowl games and one super, super holy separated Christian let me know that even if he knew of a pizza place that had a big TV to watch such things, he would not let me know. Back in the 3rd and 4th century, if you know church history, the monastic movement began. Where Christians started to feel, ooh, even so much of the church is worldly, and I feel so dirty living in society, that this movement began where many would just move away from society out into deserts and become hermits in order to leave this present world, even in their mortality, to become more holy to deny themselves all kinds of normal pleasures that God has given, like marriage and foods, with the mindset, I will be more holy. We get remnants of the Anabaptist movement with one segment of that called the Amish, right? What would they look at? That's Okay, there they are. You don't need to know anything about their morality. You just they got the right hats. They don't drive cars. They live in these little communities. There they are. And they have almost zero impact upon reaching others with the gospel. Okay. So how do we walk the line uh, of being different and distinct from the world? We, we live in the world for the sake of reaching others as we were reached with the gospel. Jesus lays out this biblical balance in His high priestly prayer in John 17. Starting with verse 15, we get to hear Him talk to the Father. Father, concerning His apostles, I do not ask that You take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And as You sent Me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And Jesus says, how is that happening? That is happening by by being a normal human being, living in the world, but you're not of the world, by being sanctified. That means set apart. How? By God's Word directing what you will no longer do. And what you will do, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. So Jesus could be utterly not of the sinners. And He'd be ridiculed by those who fell off the beam on the other side, the Pharisees. How can you sit there and laugh and eat and talk with sinners? He could. He was in the world. But he wasn't of the world. That's the biblical balance. And so 25 years after Jesus prays that prayer, the Apostle Paul applies that principle to the church in Asia Minor in a very godless, immoral, pagan society by saying, we are to walk, live in the world, as children of light in the midst of a dark culture and thus exposing their sin, their lifestyles of darkness. So if you're there, verse 8, Ephesians 5, Paul writes, For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk, live that way. Walk as children of light. So so notice how he says this. He doesn't just say, walk as children of light. He first laid out the prerequisite of doing that. That is, you need to be born again. In other words, he's referring to those who are in their person children of light. You were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk what you are. And also notice, Paul doesn't merely say, you used to be in the darkness but now you're in the light. It's not how he words it here. He says, you were, this is uh, the verb, to be verb of identity, you were darkness. Not anymore. Now you are light. You were utter darkness. You, You had no light 
whatsoever until God created you or recreated you. Light. Our darkness of our being was so dark, we could not see morally our, our hand right before our face. We were in utter darkness. We were spiritually pitch black, blind. In other words, Oh no, we got remnants of Christian culture and Western society, even to today, that we would find right from wrong. Absolutely, but we could not see nor appreciate God in His glory and ultimate reality and truth. We were darkness. And we had zero desire to be changed. I want to see, but I can't. Nope. We were, we were darkness. We were, as, as Paul said earlier in Ephesians, back in chapter 2, he defined what our darkness looked like. In other words, and you can just watch how we live. And this is how he put it in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. He says, before you became light, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. You were following the course of this world. There he is. Jesus says, they're not of the world. But we were of the world. You were, you were of the world. You were following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind intellectually. And we were by nature children of wrath. Just, just like the rest of mankind. Now, we were just like them, he said. We were darkness. We were walking, avoiding the reality of impending death and eternity and a God who judges. But then, God changed us, if we're believers, from darkness to light. He opened the eyes of our understanding and of our desires. The way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, you remember? He takes where God created everything. Let there be light. God created. And he says, that's what God did to you. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, He's the one who has shown shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw it. The light caused us to see our sin. And we were overcome with the guilt of it. 
We no longer toyed with eternity in heaven and hell. Yeah, big deal. I'll party with my friends. We were doomed and knew it. And it came with the good news in light of the bad that Jesus is coming and His life and His sacrificial death and His resurrection is all sufficient for my redemption to see and enjoy the beauty of the only being who has been in Himself forever and ever. It is just, will I take Him? And we took Him. And we realize now, I've come in too. Or as Paul might say, rather, I was pulled into the light. And our desires changed. Oh no, the old desires for temporal pleasures that go against God's Word are still there. But what changed is a competing desire by the presence of the Holy Spirit that says, I hate that, though I like it. Though I hate it. And we desire, oh God, work in me your holiness. Or the way Paul would say it. We are now light in the Lord. And so he says, so now, as you wake up tomorrow, decisions you'll make in life constantly, live out your life as children of light that you are in the midst of a very dark, evil world. So just pick up the end of verse 8. There's the command now. Do you see? You're, you're light. So what? Walk as children of light. And then he stops on that word and he says, let me unpack what I mean. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So he defines what he means by walking in or as children of light. Literally, here's my literal translation. It, is the, it, it consists in all goodness and righteousness. And truth. And so, if we're children of light, you walk as children of light means you will be good. Goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul. Goodness just simply means it's behavior that looks out to the benefit of others, particularly spiritually, but not leaving alone the temporal. We can talk about big things, but it's little things. See, when we try to train children, when... when, when there's two people. I know there's nowhere else to walk. You've got to go. Two people are talking. You have to go through them. You say, excuse me. It is a good thing. Because you're saying, I recognize you also are a human being. You're made in God's image. You deserve respect. It's written, and so cultures have different ways of doing it. Excuse me. So from the very little things to the big things, it's goodness. It's light. Or, secondly, if we walk in the light, 
we will be practicing righteousness. Which means conforming our lives to God's standards. Revealed, not, not how you feel, but in Holy Scripture. I mean, in, in this context, as you've been following along, particularly, Paul means, in not living in sexual immorality. You will walk in righteousness. And thirdly, if we walk in the light, we will be practicing the Word. Because he says it right there. It consists in truth. And truth is in the Word that He's talking about. And in the context, right, as you go back, He is particularly referring to, as opposed to verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You're light. You'll be lovers of truth. Of truth about human sexuality that God clearly reveals. And so you do notice it is good that in English they put verse 9, if you look at your text, in parenthesis, okay, that we just looked at. Because that's really what it is. Which means verse 10 now is grammatically directly connected to verse 8. And it shows what it means. And as you're walking in the light of righteousness, goodness and truth, it shows what he means by walking in light. So let me, let me just, if I'm just going to pull those two together so we can get his flow, he says to us, walk as children of light, here's literally now, walk as children of light, proving what is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, in our living, doing, experiencing that walk, we will be experiencing what is pleasing to Jesus. See, this word here, which I translated proving, which is a wooden literal translation, it's the same word Paul used in Romans 12, verse 2, for instance. And listen to his context here. Do not be conformed to this world. Here we go again. We're not of the world that we live in. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, then what? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that by testing, you may, here's the word, prove in your life what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, as our minds are renewed with the Gospel, they're renewed with the Word of God. We prove in our living, in our experience, as we walk, what pleases the Lord. 
we, we don't determine what pleases the Lord by, let me go down to the beach and think a while and, yeah, I got a good feeling that would be pleasing. Another, I, my, my girlfriend and I, we've been together for a long time. It's been three months. Yeah, you know, we love Jesus, but, you know, because we're, this is a serious relationship, so we've come to the conclusion it would be okay for us to start to sleep together. This is not what he means by proving. Wonder what the will of the Lord is for us here. He makes it clear. You prove what the will of the Lord is by walking in the light according to His Word. His directives on what you ought or not not do with your girlfriend or 10,000 other things in life. That's why He says in the text, do not become partakers with the sexually immoral. But walk with Jesus. Proving through the way you're walking, this is pleasing to the Lord. And so as we are in the world, but we're not of the world, we are to face each day in decisions with, with, with the questions constantly, right? Hmm. Will this, with the Bible in front of me, will this decision, will this action, will this be pleasing to my Savior who loved me and gave Himself up me. And so Paul tells every Christian how to live in this dark world. Live what you are. Light. Walk as children of light. Truth. Goodness. Righteousness according to His Word. And then He goes further and He says essentially this, by our not participating in sinful talk in the hallways, in sinful actions and deeds, by our refusing to do that, we expose the darkness of those who are without Christ presently. In verse 7, go back there for a moment, he says essentially, do not become partakers with the sons of disobedience who are outside of Christ in their way of living sinfully. Do not join them in those Things That is, those who are under the wrath of God. And he will say again in verse 11, take no part in... But literally, it's the word for fellowship. Do not have fellowship with unfruitful deeds of, of darkness. Now, we've got to judge Paul, maybe. What are you driving at? You're radical? Should we put little funny hats on and not drive cars? Okay. 
Because he does have, a, he, he has a, what's the word I want? He has a spirit about him that really sees a separation from unbelievers. But at the same time, you're in the world. And I'm going to try, okay, so l- let me let him unpack it, okay? So let, here's Paul's words. I, saying, I think, even more fully what he means by not just whole hog participating in with, with, with those who are darkness still. But, but, but you just, you, you're with them, but you're not whole hog with them. This is how he says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14-18. Do not be unequally yoked, tied to, with unbelievers. Why? He says, he says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship, listen to his words here, has light with darkness? What accord or agreement has Christ with Satan or Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And then he grabs Leviticus 26 and he applies it to the church. And he says, God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And therefore, go out from their midst and be separate says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's Paul's way of saying, we are in the world. We mix with the world, but we're not of the world. And so he adds in our text in Ephesians 5 verses 11 to 12. Have no fellowship with or take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And now what he's going to say next in the context, he clearly is referring to sexual sin. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So he says, you got it? Don't practice sexual sins or laugh at such talk like unbelievers just easily do. We are not of the world. But instead, Paul says, 
we should expose such sins. Now, which, this is how my understanding, which, which, as the flow of the context goes, it just seems to me that by our way of living, and thus what we refuse to do and participate in, we are exposing the unfruitful works of darkness for what they really are. Shameful in the light of a holy God. They're exposed. This word exposed, same word Jesus used in John 3, 20-21 when He declared, For everyone who does wicked things, those people, they hate the light. So get the light and darkness analogy again here with Jesus. They hate the light. And they do not come to the light. Lest His deeds should be, and here's the word, exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been caused by God who is light. So in other words, the stark difference in, in how lovers of Jesus live, their lives expose people's sins that are around them who don't know the Lord. And so he goes on to say in verses 13, 14, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And anything that becomes visible is light. Now, I've got to admit, that is, was strange. Strange wording, and it's difficult to interpret. I mean, is it, it could be just Paul's way of saying, "Okay, you're light. I just can't do that. I love Jesus so much, and he just—I'm just compared." To, no, and then it's what you're judging me. Okay, and that's how it happens, right? And, and it's exposed. He could just be saying that's what light does, but I don't think he is. In this whole context, Paul has been using, he's been wording things in, in a strange way on the surface with a to be verb. Not you were in darkness, now you're in light, you know, with a little in preposition. No, no, no. You were darkness. You are now light. And then he says here this strange phrase, for anything that becomes visible is light. I think what he's doing there, he means that in our living, because we have a gospel in our mouth, but our lives would expose darkness are oftentimes the means to conversion of those in darkness. And they become light. And so that would mean, if we've come to Christ, we're no longer darkness, we're light, but in our living, we are no different in our thinking, in our worldview, in our attitudes, 
in the things we laugh about or refuse to laugh about, in our words or in our behavior. If we're no different than the world, then we don't have any good news to give them. We're sinning like them. Their sin is not being exposed, which is all part of the Gospel. You can't get saved if you are not lost. And the church and churches throughout the world should be crying out to those persons who claim Christ is their Savior, but are living lives not conforming them to biblical standards, we should say to them, please don't let unbelievers know that you claim to be a Christian. But if you do belong to Jesus... If you're born again, then verse 8 is you. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And that means you are to be separate from the deeds of darkness that the world of unbelievers much more freely and unhinderedly participate in. This is so such central and clear and ubiquitous means it's all over the place in the New Testament. Ubiquitous New Testament teaching. Just one. So the Apostle Peter also is so clear on this when he writes in 1 Peter 4 to the church, to believers throughout the Roman Empire, look, guys, the time, meaning before you came to Christ, The time is, the time that is past suffices for doing what the unbelievers want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not run with them into the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. What are you, some holier than thou? Think you're better than me? They will malign you. But they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so, as believers separate themselves from sinful lifestyles in order to live pleasingly to the Lord, 
our living, according to Paul, is to be there exposing the darkness. The sinful lifestyles of those who are in desperate need for Jesus as their Savior. And so we are not of the world. But we do live in the world. And Jesus wants us to live in the world. He wants us to have contact with unbelievers and worldly people in order to be lights that shine in the darkness as a means to the gospel of many others' salvation. So as I began, the answer on this beam is clearly not monasticism or to become a hermit. It it is not, do not have any contact, conversation with, watch a movie with, hang out with, play sports with, watch sports with, shop with. It doesn't mean do not have unbelievers in your lives. Not what it means. And actually the Corinthians early on seemed to get really confused about this when Paul was trying to teach them that when it comes to those baptized professing Christians who are living in habitual, unrepentant immorality, when he says, to them, do not hang around them. Let them know they must repent. They got confused thinking, I guess we're supposed to be separate from from the world. No. Uh, This is watch. This is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 5. Look, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since you would have to go out of the world. They're everywhere. No, no, no. What I meant was, I'm I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of Christian if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. And so... In other words, Paul saying, of course we don't break off contact with family, with friends, with colleagues, with neighbors who are immoral and living in the darkness. They are living what they are. And we're supposed to live what we are. We don't break off contact with them, but we are sent into the world with the Gospel to bring the light shining. We used to be of the world. We are no longer of the world. We used to be darkness. We're no longer darkness. We are light. And therefore we're not of the world. And that is precisely why. Because we are in the world and meant to be in the world. And Jesus prayed for such as us about this. We are to walk carefully in the world. We must know biblical admonitions like Paul when he says, 
bad company corrupts good morals. We must know the difference. On what basis are we building friendships in the world or in the church? See, I'm going to go on. If we don't notice a difference in our relationships, human to human, with three people over here versus three over here. So the three over here, if we don't notice a difference in our relationships with those who have come from darkness and are in light like us and love the same Lord Jesus as us, that the miracles happen to them, that the same spirit that dwells within us is in them, and we together are the temple. If we don't notice a difference in our relationship with those fellow aliens in this world who are Christians, up against our friendships with those who remain in darkness, something is probably seriously wrong. That's what Paul meant think it's my humility what fellowship has light with darkness what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever many people are Sunday Christians they are cultural Christians they have no idea what Paul is talking about Friendship. I mean, we can talk, and I love it, especially with these young people who are thinking about friendship. Okay. But deep, when we're talking about deep bonding friendship, if people really want that, I mean, I, I don't count. You like sports, I like sports, let's go. I, okay, that, that's great, I like sports. But bonding, deep friendship, what are those about when those of us who are fortunate to have any? It is that we share or fellowship, we share something in common. There are deep foundational goals that we have, pursuits that we have. And there's a mix of personality that helps that relationship grow deeper. Now, for a believer, I mean, I just have to think, I mean, is there anything that's deeper than the pursuit of ultimate reality? That the gospel of Jesus Christ, that person, our Savior, resurrected from the dead, is the meaning of all existence. Is there any pursuit? So, so, so when we say, God, help me, let different levels of friendship within the church, that's where that's going. That's great. And we can have, you can, we can have unbelievers that, that person's pretty smart. They're actually, oh, we can talk psychology with that's good. Some Christians, for some reason, they can't even, I don't know, they're introspective in no way. And we can have that. But those relationships, we ought to be careful to not lose. Judgment day is coming for me and for him, me and her. Eternity is at stake. That's why you want to remain friends. But that's your ultimate goal. Because that's ultimate reality and truth. And it's bigger than anything we share in common down here in a temporal, earthly plane. And if that doesn't have... If, it's a good thing when that gnaws 
at you in, in your heart, in your spirit, in our relationships with those who are outside of Christ. And so we are to maintain those. But so as we do as Christians, maintain relationships, even seek them. We want to reach people. We are to constantly be on guard for our own life that their darkness and lifestyle doesn't creep over because of our friendship to pull us back into our former way of living. But we want to shine the light on their souls, their desperate need for the blackness of their heart to be erased by the cross of Christ. And so that's what Paul is driving at in verse 14 when he quotes this, most likely every scholar thinks this is a hymn they sung throughout the church in the early days that they got from Isaiah 60 and it's this it's, it's, a, it's, it's a well-known hymn and that's why he throws it in here when he says therefore it says awake O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you Paul uses it to illustrate what he just said. In other words, this is how I understand what he's doing. He he pictures the, the unbeliever and his or her sin being exposed to the light of the Christian that they're around and they get converted. They rise spiritually from the dead so that they too become Light in Christ. The light turns on, and like cockroaches in my old kitchen when I was single, they scatter. The darkness scatters. They're converted to Christ, and they are light. Let me, let me read it. We're going to close here in a second. Stay put, though. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. There's a conversion. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And Paul is saying, that's our goal. That's what we So let me just last word then. As we go in the world, and I get, you know, Surge is so good, constantly reminding us of this, and so I'm going to put it in here. As we are with family, friends, colleagues, we care about them, we love them, but as bold as they can be with their nudie magazine, or their stupid statement about what they think truth is, we should reciprocate and be just as bold about our love for Jesus. It's not of, I'm better. It's like, look, there's a part of me that so wants to look at that magazine. But you know what? I have something so much better. It's Jesus. He's the light. And then we go into (coughs) the Gospel. 
that delivered me. It's for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of us here who have come to know your Son. Or rather, to be intimately known by your Son. We are, and this is not just a saying now, eternally grateful that you have come and turned us who were darkness and made us light in Jesus Christ. Will You continue to sustain and propel us throughout this week and this month and this year and this life to walk in the light? Exposing darkness for the salvation of many to the glory of Your name. Amen.